Welcome to the Finding Refuge podcast. My name is Michelle Cassandra Johnson, and I am so glad you're here. This podcast emerged from work based in the exploration of collective grief and liberation. It exists to remind us about all the ways we can find refuge during unsettling and uncertain times. Today's interview is with Jivana Heyman. Jivana is a 500-hour certified yoga teacher and is the founder and director of the Accessible Yoga Association, an international nonprofit organization dedicated to increasing access to the yoga teachings. Accessible Yoga offers conferences, community forums, and a popular ambassador program. He's the co-founder of the Accessible Yoga Training School and the author of Accessible Yoga, Poses and Practices for Everybody, published by Shambhala Publications, as well as the forthcoming book, Yoga Revolution, Building a Practice of Courage and Compassion, which comes out in November of 2021. You can find more information about Jivana at his website, jivanaheyman.com. And of course, I will include his website in the show notes. I hope you enjoy the interview. Hi, Jivana. Hi, I'm Michelle. So nice to be here. It's nice to see you and nice to have you on the podcast. And thank you for saying yes to spending some time with me. Yeah, thank you for inviting me. I'm just, I'm a huge fan. I'm a fan <laughs> of you. <laughs> I'm a fan of, of you as well. And I don't, Time is so weird. I'm trying to figure out when we first met. I, I can't remember, but because I felt like it was before the Accessible Yoga Conference that I came to in St. Louis, but maybe we that is where we met. Um, maybe, yeah. I, I think that might be, because I think that retreat thing we did was later. I think, I think St. Louis was that, I'm not good with dates either. Like that's not me. I know. I'm like, what happened? A couple happened? years ago, you were the keynote speaker for our St. Louis Accessible Yoga Conference. So I know I met you there for sure. Yeah, I think that's when we met. And we um, obviously knew about each other before that. Um, so it's been great to be in community with you and be comrades and colleagues and friends. Yes. Yeah, I really appreciate you. I love your work. And I mean, seriously, I say I'm a fan and I, I mean, I don't say that, I say it jokingly, but it's true. Like, I love your work, your books. I'm just so excited about what you're doing. I love listening to you and reading your stuff. And that's not true of everybody. Like, I really don't <laughs> say that all the time. You know, like, I just feel like you have such a special way of, of sharing and making yoga and these teachings, like, fit in, the, in this moment. And that's kind of like what I, that's what I'm interested in. And I just love the way you do it, you know. Thank you. Thank you. Well, I would love for you to share um, with the listeners more about what you do and who you are in the world, however you want to answer the question. Um, sure. Yeah. I mean, I'm the founder and director of Accessible Yoga. Right now, our name is actually Accessible Yoga Association. That's the nonprofit side of the work. Um, and we run the conferences and these ambassador program and all these other things. It's all online right now, um, which is fun and exciting. 
And I also run the accessible yoga training. I, I created an online school with Amber Carnes, and we've been hosting my training and then a bunch of other ones. Um, and I wrote a book, Accessible Yoga, and I'm, I have a new book coming out in November called Yoga Revolution. So I hope we can talk about that. Mm -hmm. um, I'm also, you know, I'm, I'm a queer person. I'm an AIDS activist, and I was, that was my passion back in the 80s and 90s. Um, and that's really informed my work. And, you know, I came to yoga after that. So I've always had that kind of perspective on the yoga teachings, um, slightly radical one, I would say, which really does inform what I do. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, I, I would love to have you share more about, I've heard some of this story, but more about your work as an AIDS activist and what you noticed and how that led you into the work you do and creating Accessible Yoga, the association. Yeah. Yeah, Accessible Yoga really came out of that, actually. I mean, I, I was, I mean, I came out of the closet. I actually did some math. It was 1984, which, I mean, you know, I'm 54 now. I was 17 at the time. That was a really difficult time, you know, for the, for the gay community, especially gay men. And you know, it was right smack in the middle of the AIDS epidemic. And I just, it was, I don't know how to explain it, but it was like, I kind of had this really quick exposure to illness and death and suffering. Um, it was just overwhelming. I, I mean, I was excited to come out of the closet and then like immediately everyone I met was grappling with this horrible disease and honestly, like lost so many people. I mean, just, you know, all my mentors and boyfriends and I don't know, like the people I looked up to, they all passed pretty much. My best friend died mm -hmm. in 1995. And um, I was involved with ACT UP, especially in San Francisco. I started in New York, but got really involved with ACT UP San Francisco and um, really dedicated myself to AIDS activism for many years. And then I was really struggling personally with all, with all that and found yoga kind of as a way to handle my stress and anxiety and grief, actually. Talk about grief. That's really what I was trying to deal with, mm -hmm. you know, and yoga was amazing. It just helped me so much. And the teachings were really spoke to that in a way I had never heard before. And so I'm just became a passionate yoga practitioner and finally decided to teach yoga because I wanted to share it with my community. I mean, I basically decided to teach because I wanted to teach yoga for people with HIV and AIDS, which I did for many, many years um, through, you know, the 90s and the 2000s. And then that grew eventually into accessible yoga. I mean, basically, I, I was running classes for so long. This, my students were like, well, many people died actually in those classes, but many of them just mm -hmm. kept like just became incredible yoga practitioners and I wanted them to become teachers. And many of them didn't feel like they could, that they could take a regular yoga training. And so accessible yoga actually started as a way to encourage my students to become yoga teachers. So I, I tried to adapt the training itself to them. And then eventually it became a training for yoga teachers to learn how to work with all different bodies and people in all different places in their lives and to share yoga more broadly with people who felt unwelcome, basically. Mm -hmm. And that was the experience a lot of my students had, just feeling unwelcome in yoga. And that was, those days, it was kind of the beginning of the yoga studio scene, 
you know, that was just all starting. Yeah. Does that make sense? I don't know. It, yeah. Thank you for sharing. Yes. Sharing about your experience and how accessible yoga came to be. And also your experience of witnessing people die, be sick and die. And also how the culture responded to folks at that time. And you mentioned grief and I'm, I'm curious to know, um, because I also know in your upcoming book, which we will talk about, there's a chapter about death and the teachings of yoga connected with death. And, and of course we've just been through and still are in a year and a half of death in this way that I've never experienced. And so I'm curious what that, what it was like to witness what you witnessed then. And I don't know if it felt like, you know, the last year and a half, if that felt similar, I'm curious about that though. Yeah. Last year and a half felt similar, but also very different because one of the things that was most painful to me back during the AIDS epidemic was that not only was there so much suffering around me in my community, but there was no response. There was no empathy coming from the rest of the world. And it just felt like a real disconnect for me, that kind of, I mean, it's the nature of oppression, basically, to feel like your suffering is unseen. Mm-hmm. And, and you're invisible, like I felt invisible, basically. And, and my community felt invisible. And that, that's what the activism came out of, was just speaking up for that, to like, yeah, like screaming, literally, like, pay attention to us, we're suffering and dying, and like, what's going, like, look at what's happening. And so like, COVID felt different, because COVID, I think, it showed me how it could go another way, actually. It kind of brought up old wounds slightly, because mm-hmm. I'm like, this is what we could have done. There was, I mean, Trump made a mess of it, but at least he didn't pretend that it wasn't a thing. I mean, he kind of did, but mostly we all knew this was a real thing and that people were getting sick and dying. And there was disagreement about how to approach that, fine, but at least we weren't in denial about this is a thing, right? Like this is COVID, it's a, it's a virus. And same with HIV, it's a virus and people were getting sick, but it was years and years of denial. And, you know, Reagan was the president in the beginning and didn't say the word AIDS for like the first four years of the epidemic. And then, and then um, Bush, same thing, Bush senior, just, just kind of ignored the whole thing as much as possible. In fact, not even ignored it. Literally, we were told that this was, this was like our karma, like because we were sinners, this is what was happening to us. Mm-hmm. And many people were happy about it. I mean, I remember one protest where there was like a, a religious conservative group came to San Francisco. <laughs> it's like, there were like two sides of this protest. There was like the AIDS activists and then this like conservative group telling us we're all going to hell. And there was just like, it was just incredible to me that people could do that, could be so unkind and, and mean, you know, just mean and hateful and in the face of this incredible suffering. So I don't know, for me, activism, is just an expression of love and caring for our own communities, speaking up for people and, and saying like, pay attention, like this is really happening. Yeah, I appreciate what you s- named about suffering and the difference in COVID-19 and how it could have been and your experience with the AIDS epidemic and, and your activism in response to it. And I'm curious to know what you learned about your own suffering, which is like 
that can be at that time or what you're learning now. It can be present day or what you have learned throughout time, however you want to speak to it. Yeah. I think it's funny because I kind of have like a set answer, but I'm trying to be more, I'm trying to really think about that question. I mean, I think what I would say when I think about it quickly is that yoga showed me a way to deal with my pain. Like it offered me spiritual practices that I didn't have. You know, I didn't grow up in a very religious family. And so like, I didn't have connection to spirituality in a way. And, and so yoga gave me a context for that suffering. And it showed me that, you know, that there is part of me and everyone I love that's eternal. And, and I really, that gave me great, just relief to, to have faith, which I didn't have before. Cause I felt so lost. I mean, I was, I was literally a teenager and I, I didn't know, I didn't know what was going on. And so I really needed that. It was probably in my early twenties really that I found yoga seriously though. And, and, and that really just gave me, um, it helped to relieve that suffering and that hopelessness that I had. And also it was in a practical way. It actually made me feel better. So it was like, that's what's so beautiful about yoga is like offered me these kind of an intellectual understanding, but also an experience, like actually be able to relax and let go a little bit physically and emotionally and mentally. That was just, I had never, I had just never had that. You know, that was just, it just helped me so much with my suffering, which was immense. I mean, I, I tried, to, I, I volunteered at an AIDS hospice for a while. I mean, I, I, I was trying to like help and support and serve my community, but I really, I really was suffering and I was trying, you know, yoga was like the only real, I don't know what the word is, solve, like treatment, something that I had mm -hmm. for myself. Thank God, you know, so grateful. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, this makes me think about your, well, both accessible yoga, the book and your upcoming book, because I haven't read all of it because I just received it last night. I didn't ask to receive it before. I don't know why. Um, and I did glance at it and read a little bit of it. And I, I mean, I know a theme of it is how yoga has can provide healing for folks. And also there's a deep connection to activism and there are these different themes in there as well. And I wonder if you could share more about yoga revolution and how it came to be. And I also know there's, this chapter about death and suffering as well throughout. So share some about your book. Yeah, I think it's directly related to this question of suffering. And um, to me, I, I just haven't seen yoga taught clearly in a way that addresses this. I actually see it some in your work. And to be honest, that's why I love you so much because I feel like you're really helping us apply the teachings to our suffering, you know, and in a few different ways. And that's kind of what I'm trying to do is just show like that, first of all, teachings of yoga offer this really universal view of spirituality and of our reality that to me speaks to equity. And I think that's a really important concept, you know, that, that in yoga, the, the, the idea is that we all share the same essence, the same spirit, no matter what our external form, no matter our body, the body and mind are constantly changing, but the spirit is unchanging, internal, and is the same within all of us. 
And I know that often in yoga, we use that as a way of bypassing, right? Like we say, oh, we're all one. And that's kind of bullshit, but, but there is some truth there. We just need to put it in perspective, which is to say that is true. And also our physical bodies, our minds are completely different than each other's and our lived experience is totally different. And so if you have those two very different things and you put them together, you see, wow, actually we have this essence that's the same and yet our experience is so different. And so to me, there's this like underlying kind of almost, I don't know, philosophical issue within yoga of like, how do we live that truth? You know, how do we find that, that equity and equality in the world? And that's to me is through activism and social justice and speaking up for other people when there's harm happening to them, right? That we see ourselves in others to love thy neighbor as thyself. Like that is really the essence, the essence of the yoga teachings to me. And I don't hear that very often. Like I don't hear that enough, I guess. And I'd also say like, like I was getting at, there are some really practical tools within the yoga teachings and practices that are just so healing in a real healing in a deep way that can soothe us and calm us and relieve suffering. And I feel like my work, like accessible yoga was really an effort to like get those teachings out there as much as I can. Like here's the teachings, go practice. Like everyone can use these things. Like almost a desperate feeling that I have of like needing to share this. Like I, I'm, I feel like I've been hoarding these teachings in a way, like I know the benefit and I've seen how much they can help me and other people. Why can't more people do them? And so I'm trying to like get them out there. And I think with Yoga Revolution, I'm just trying to like, like step back a little bit and be like, this is why, like this is what's so beautiful about these teachings and what I see there it's very much like a personal interpretation. I'm not, I'm not trying to, um, I don't know, like I'm not an academic, I'm just a practitioner and a teacher. So I'm just like, giving my perspective on it, but I hope to give that kind of larger view and show how that applies today. Does that, does that make sense? I don't know if that's answering mm -hmm. the question. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, in the, in the parts of the, of yoga revolution that I was able to read and glance at, I did notice a difference in um, accessible yoga, your book, your first book and this book and what you said about talking about, you know, why these are important and, and why you're pairing activism and yoga. And it's, it's sort of a deeper exploration of that. And I, and I also hear, it makes sense to me why accessible yoga came out first okay. as like, here are the practices. And now let me explain more about how I relate to this and how we can connect with these, these. It wasn't planned that way, but <laughs> it makes sense though. It makes sense to me yeah. that it happened in the way it has. Yeah. And I, I was reading the chapter about death and it, in particular, the part about your mom, which is so beautiful, that chapter and um, the story of your mom as she was getting ready to transition and, how she would say, I love you. Right. But she, like, she'd struggled to do that and speak is yeah. how I read it. And, um, you connected that with yoga too. And it, it, what made me think of it is what you said about we are one and, and there is this, you know, eternal essence that, that connects us and spirit is in, in us, which is also in yoga revolution as well. You name that. Um, and so I'm just wondering if you talk some about if you would like to talk some about your mom and that experience of, yeah. of witnessing her do that um, as she was preparing to die. Yeah. I mean, 
it was, it's true that those are the only words she spoke for a few weeks, literally. Like that's all she would say. She, could on, she would only get up the energy to say, I love you, I love you so much. And she would just repeat it. And then she, wouldn't, she couldn't say anything else. Like she was so weak at that point. Um, but yeah, the way I, I, what I shared in the book and what I, the way I connected it to yoga is the lesson that she taught me, which was that, you know, I, what I love about yoga is that it gives me perspective on my mind. Because I'm kind of, a, I tend to be um, kind of intellectual, like wanting to understand things. Like that's how I approach the world is like kind of an analysis or something. And that's just not what yoga is about, right? It's, yoga is actually opposite. It's like calming the mind and engaging the mind in a sense, but um, more to me, like not like just admitting to myself that my mind doesn't know. And so that's what my mom did. She, I had this idea that I knew she was dying. I mean, we all knew she was dying and, and, um, and you know, for a few months, she was really, really fading quickly. And I, and while she was before she was really bad, she was talking and I kept trying to broach the subject with her about death. And I thought, Oh, this is important. Like I'm a yoga teacher and I can talk to her about death. And like, I tried, you know, I've, it was like I expected to have some kind of intellectual conversation with her about it. Um, and she refused. Like whenever I bring it up, she would just change the subject like that, like immediately. She would not talk about it. And I thought she's completely in denial. You know, that was my analysis mm -hmm. intellectually of the situation. And then, you know, I watched her do this where she completely focused on love. And I mean, she, we have a big family and she loves, she loved us like more than anything. That's all that mattered to her was her family. And that's what she did. She showed me through those last few weeks that it's just love. Like, I love you. I love you so much. That was her only message. She had nothing else to tell me and there was nothing else to say. That was a lesson from her is that it's not, it's not about having an intellectual conversation that the mind can't understand, honestly. I know my mind cannot comprehend death or, or for that matter, love and spirit. Like my mind really cannot comprehend those ideas. I have a sense of them, but not completely. It's only something we can experience. And that's what she was showing me. She was saying, she, she was literally like living and dying that, that message, like love, love is the answer. Love is what's connected and love is what I want to tell, tell you. I love you. I mean, it was very powerful. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What is your mom's name? Wendy. Wendy. Um, yeah. She was amazing. She was, a, she was actually an actress. And she stopped acting when she had kids. But in the 50s, she was uh, in soap operas and on radio and stuff. Like, it was you know, early TV. Mm -hmm. um, she was just an amazing person. Just, and I, I feel lucky that I had, um, and I still feel like I have her in my life, but you know, that I had such a supportive parent because I know a lot of people don't have that. And so I realized even through that loss, it was very traumatic for me when she died because I, I relied on her so much. Like I would talk to her almost every day and just relied on her to like, tell me what to do basically, like give me advice and support. But I realized that that lesson it, that was a lesson that I actually don't need. I don't need her to be giving me advice. I just need her love. 
and I know I have that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's so powerful. Her lesson and um, the gift she left you with as she transitioned, although she's still present in spirit and it sounds like you feel her around you. And I am wondering how that shows up for you. Like, how does she show up now in spirit, given that we are spirit, right? In our minds, we're like in bodies trapped, but we are so much bigger. Like, how does she show up? She shows up in times of need, you know, like when I, these days when I go to pray or meditate, it's almost always, she's almost always there. And it wasn't like that before she passed. I, I would say that's where I connect with her now. You know, it's like she's uh, present in a different way within me, honestly. I feel like she's in me and almost like a voice in my head and in my heart and I can feel her. And I almost know, it's like, I almost know what she would do. I know what she would say. Like, I feel that, that knowing when I get quiet. Mm -hmm. You know, like I actually, that was, you know, my daughter was calling before and she's really struggling. My daughter's, um, you know, has major mental health issues. And that's usually the thing that gets me to go and pray these days. And, and, you know, and that's really what I turn to my mother for still. It's for support, you know, and help and to look after her. Mm-hmm. hmm Well, I'm glad that your mom is present in the way she is and supporting you and, and your daughter and, and us really, right? Like everyone, what a gift her yeah. saying, I love you. And that being the thing that she could share, like that just feels so sacred and special. Yeah. Yeah, I know. I hear you write, you write and talk about ancestors a lot. Mm -hmm. And I hadn't really experienced it in this way before my mom died. And it's been about three years now. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's really something. Yeah, this makes me think about what you were sharing around how accessible yoga came to be and and your experience of um, watching people die and think, shepherding them in a way through their transition and I mean the suffering in response to what the world was saying and the lack of support and care and I I mean I don't want to project I don't know this but it makes what you shared about your mom and her lesson and how she showed up feels connected to how you show up and how you you showed up in that that time Um, and this continues with that time when you were like, what is going on? And yes, I need to teach yoga in this way. And I need to show up for people and I need to do something different than what dominant culture is doing. So I I appreciate that. I, I tried to be of service. Like that was, that was the reaction I had was like, I felt, um, a lot of love and care for my friends and my community. And I wanted, I wanted to help. And it was frustrating that I couldn't more. And actually, it's funny that I brought up that one scene. So maybe I'll tell you more about it. that one image I had shared about uh, this one demonstration where there was like another side. There were a lot of AIDS demonstrations that I were, was at were just like trying to bring awareness. We would go to City Hall or whatever, or we'd block traffic. But this one was special, and I mean, in a weird way, in that there was this like opposing side. And I remember at the front, like at the very front, there was a police line. And there were two men on either side of the line and they were screaming at each other. And they were both big, big guys and they're like bright red, angry 
yelling at each other. And I thought at that moment, and this was like, this was actually at the end of my kind of activism in that way. I realized that in their anger, they were both the same, you know, that, that, and it wasn't to, I wasn't trying to put down people on my side. I mean, but I was just realizing in our humanity, like if we just use anger only, it will get us so far. And I realized I wanted to do something else. Like I didn't, I don't want my activism to be just anger. Um, and I had been using it that way. That's a, an important way. And anger is good. Like it really helped me speak out. I demonstrated for years. I got arrested many, many times. I hope it made a difference. I don't know. But I just felt in that moment that I was done with that. And so I literally like, that was it. That was my last demonstration. And I turned and I walked away and I just thought, I have to find another way to serve. Like there has to be another way. And at that time I was really getting into yoga. And so that's when I decided I gotta be a yoga teacher and share what I found with other people. Mm -hmm. Another ancestor I'll say is my, my best friend, Kurt, who died in 1995. That was, he was very sick at that time. That was probably in the early nineties. And he was really into philosophy and kind of helping me understand philosophy and yoga philosophy. And he kind of showed, he helped me, he exposed me to this more. Just like I could see it. I could see the ways that yoga philosophy were universal teachings, that these were universal teachings. And he, in a way, indirectly, he led me to become a yoga teacher. And I, and I did, because I, I decided I want to find another form for caring. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm hmm. Yeah, I, I love the way you're framing, well, you framed service as care. That's what I just heard. And um, I know that's so much of a theme, yoga service, I think in both accessible yoga and yoga revolution. And I would love for you to share some about the structure of the book, because I know you included other voices who are pairing yoga and activism and I'm not saying this because I'm in it. I'm saying yeah. it because I want people to know like what this book is. Like it's your, your medicine and offering. And part of that is um, uplifting people who are in this um, work with you. Yes. I'm so grateful that you're, you're a contributor in the book, which is so awesome. And I think there are about 16 contributors um, in the book. So the way the book is structured is it's in three parts it's about kind of inner revolution. The idea is that we need to understand or at least consider the yoga teachings and the way they can impact our internal life and constantly move inward. I mean, that's the teaching of yoga, right? So it's start, we have to start by moving inward and then we can move outward through service, right? That's, that's a yoga practice. That they, maybe most important yoga practice is service. And in my life, service is social justice and yoga teaching and mixing them together and trying to share yoga and find ways to apply it. And then I want, and I'm so inspired by other activists doing that. And so I kind of interweave their stories. So um, contributors like you and Susanna Barkataki and Amber Carnes and so many amazing people um, have like a little photo and a quote. And I try to place them in the book and kind of, connect that section to what they're sharing about their work um, and their activism, because I, it is so much bigger than me. And I find this is where I get stuck when I write a book is I often, 
it's a very um, personal and internal process. And so for me, I don't know why, but there's something so like healing for me to connect with others through that, through the writing process. I, I don't know if that makes sense, but mm -hmm. um, it really helps me. And I did the same thing in accessible yoga. Um, I tried to bring in other voices. It's not as clear in there, I don't think, but I tried to really make it more clear here. And also because it's not about me and it's like to make it about me is actually anti-yoga, right? Like yoga is about not being focused on myself. So I'm, I'm constantly trying to shift that focus to the community and that's a theme in the book too. So I was trying to practice what I preach basically in, in mm -hmm. the way the book is structured. And then the last part of the book is about creating a practice. So it's almost like, I, at one point I used an analogy of like a wave on the beach and it's like, that's what I feel my practice is. It's like the wave comes onto the shore, like we reach out into the world and serve, but then we constantly pull back into the ocean through our practice, connect, question, analyze, consider, and then go back out and do it again. And so like that in turn, moving inward is what the practices of yoga help us do. So I kind of gave some just basic information about how do we create a practice today that's, um, you know, that's effective and useful. Just like as a, I hope just a support and inspiration. Cause I think all of us struggle with that. Like that, you know, creating a practice for ourselves but we need that if we want to serve. Right. Like mm -hmm. we need to continue to constantly turn back inward in order to reach out. Yes. And what you just shared makes me think about the Bhagavad Gita, which I know is, is weaved in. I did see that in the part that I read through throughout yoga revolution uh, and the, the question that you centered in one of the chapters about, should I act, which is, you know, connected with Arjuna, trying yeah. to figure out what do I do? I don't want to do this. Should I do this? And needing a practice to support him and teachings and this remembering around, you know, everything is for the larger self and about service. So what you shared made me think about that. And, and I'm, I wonder what helps you answer that question. Like you clearly you're taking action and the way that I read it was like, that's a question that comes up. I think over and over for people and really like, what do I do? So maybe they have the answer. Yes, I need to take action, but what do I do and how do I do it? And sometimes that gets in the way. So I'm curious to know like what helps you continue to take action and, and answer that question. Mm -hmm. And that is, I mean, that's like the theme of the book, by the way, yeah. and that's really it. Like you just, you just totally encapsulated the whole thing. Really. It's just like, how do I do it? And I honestly, like, I have a lot, I mean, a lot of thoughts because I wrote a whole book about it, right? Like it's a whole mm -hmm. thing. Like what, what one thing I say in the book is like, I think the book is focused on the spiritual part. Like having a spiritual practice is what I'm focused on. I think when you go to do activism and you reach out, then you really got to connect with what's happening around you. Like I can't speak to that piece so much for other people. I can talk about it for myself, but. I, I guess what I'm trying to say is I'm not trying to tell people how to act. I'm trying to say, have a spiritual practice and act from there. I think the service you do will be more effective. That, that's what I found in my life is that the more I'm connected with myself, the more effective I can be in the world. And my mind doesn't want to believe that. My mind wants to think that 
there's other things like I gain stuff by having more experience or more followers or more whatever, like more, more, more. Mm-hmm. And that's all a lie because the, uh, the quality of my service depends on my sensitivity to my own inner world and my ability to question and consider and reflect that that's going to speak to whether your service is effective or not. And, I, and so for myself, I would just say, I share a lot of stories in there about that, like the questioning and like one of my favorite parts about the book is around failure. I, I know you, I know you just got the book yesterday, so I know you didn't get to read the whole thing, but like, I'm really into this idea of failure as practice and I think it's underrated. I think failure is like often stops us in our tracks. We give up, we turn away. And to me it's like, and I think I'm very hard on myself, so I can't speak for everyone else, but that's what I'm sharing is like, I tend to be overly critical of myself. So I try to get over that by saying failure is, is part of my journey and it's important. It's essential. And that's where I learn all these amazing lessons. So if I'm willing to keep moving forward, that's, that's spiritual practice to me. Mm-hmm. Well, and it's an antidote to perfectionism too, mm-hmm. which yes. so many of us are conditioned to be perfect and also told we're imperfect. Exactly. I mean, there's so much confusion around that. And exactly. as you were sharing it, it about failure, I was thinking about my mom because I was a therapist for a long time. And so often I'm like, there, we're not failing, right? Like, yeah. don't think of it that way, but think of it however you want to think about it. And I hear your point. Like there's a lot to learn when, when something doesn't work out or we don't do it well, or we don't get the thing we want or whatever it is. Right. And my mom taught me just figure out another way. <laughs> like that's what she was like, or if it's not meant for you, it won't happen. She taught me both. Like if plan D doesn't work, go to the next one, you know, like, and that was, I mean, so connected to my experience awesome. too growing up, but I, it's one of the gifts that she's given me around, like, just yeah. try a different way or let it go because maybe right. it's not for you. Um, and also it's, it's where the spiritual lessons come because, you know, if we get everything, then the ego kind of builds and that's not what we want. I mean, ego is not bad, but if you just live on that ego in that ego bubble, it's going to lead to more suffering. So the fact is that not getting, no, failing, I should say, um, can become a source of a way to be forced back to connect with yourself and help, help you find more fulfillment and more connection, which will then help you the next mm-hmm. time there is suffering. And I'm, it's not that there isn't real suffering in the world either. Like, I, you know, I think that's important to say, like, And I try and talk about that in the book, like the fact that you can learn from your suffering, but also we need to be working on changing the world so that there's less suffering in ourselves and those around us. When we see suffering, I don't want to say it's kind of a paradox or something, but it's like, you know, for me, I can use all my power, all my privilege, everything I have to kind of get over myself and then be truly of service in the world. And someone else might be working on themselves more. Someone else might have less privilege, right? Or less power and need to just spend time caring for themselves. But if we all kind of did that internal work, it would, it would work out. Do you know what I'm saying? 
Yeah, that makes sense to me. I mean, it speaks to our social location and and yeah. where we're assigned privilege and power and where we have agency. And it also, it, it makes me think about what you said around if if maybe someone needs to be caring for themselves and that's their response to suffering. And if I don't do that for myself, then it's likely I'm gonna cause more suffering, right? For others. So I think it is a combination of the outward work, the inward work, the, and it's different based on our life circumstances, you know, what we're moving through and experiencing and what the world is, is doing. Exactly, exactly. It's like, it's like we all need to find where that balance point is for us and it's gonna be somewhere different for everybody. And that's what's hard to describe I mean, that's why I had to write like a book, honestly, because it's like, it takes a lot to try to say that. Like you just kind of help summarize it very easily, but I think it really depends on our location and so many other factors um, that are more internal too, like our trauma and, and our past and in our own like mental health and um, like really basic things like our environment, our community, our family, like our relationships. There's so many things, our physical body, our abilities, our disabilities. Yeah, there's just so many factors that either mean that we need to spend more time with that self-care piece or more time in the active outward mm -hmm. service piece. But I, like, I, I also try to reframe self-care as service because really that's all one thing right like right. that self-care is a kind of service serving yourself and serving others is actually not different it makes me think of i pray every morning and i end the prayer with may i decrease the suffering on this planet my own and others like it it's like there isn't a separation between those and that's my hope for our work in the world like i want to suffer less and i want to work to create more liberation and less suffering right but that that's that illusion of a, that, that we're separate beings is the whole point i mean that mm -hmm. that's what we're working on right like we're moving that veil i mean like you said that's what arjuna learns you know it's like there's no there's no you like you don't really you don't really exist in the way you think you do not as this completely separate thing mm -hmm. we're all connected yeah. i love when krishna says I can't remember exactly how Krishna says this, but um, Arjuna is resisting and Krishna is like, this isn't even about you. This is about the cosmic plan. Like, I love it so much because it's like, yeah. and, be humble, get over yourself. You know, like this is about something so much bigger. So stop. Yeah. Like, this is my plan is what Krishna is saying. And you're part yeah. of it. And this yeah. is what you need That's to do. Beautiful love saying it. it that way. Well, what I love in that section that you're talking about, it's very much in the beginning and he, where he smiles. So it's like, first he smiles. Mm -hmm. And then he says that, what you just said. It was like, that smile, you know, like to me, that's the key. Like his smile of like knowing, of like knowing, you know, kind of having like that bigger picture, right? Like, oh, you're so worried about your story and where you fit in. And like, wait a minute, you know, just sit back. You're like, just sit mm -hmm. back a little bit and see what's really going on here. Like see, see it differently. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, I have to say, like, to me, that's why I call it yoga revolution. It's not that I'm trying to, I'm not trying to say like, we need to revolutionize yoga. I hope people don't misunderstand. I'm saying that yoga is revolutionary. Right. I'm actually very much in support of yoga, not trying to change it. I'm saying we need to be applying it. And it is a, it's completely revolutionary considering the current kind of Western capitalist white supremacy system we're in. I mean, that, Yoga is like 
completely opposed to that. And so that's mm -hmm. the point I'm trying to share in the book is that like sit back and try and see that vision, you know, that Krishna shared when he, when he smiled, Krishna smiled. Yeah. I love that. Can you tell us a little bit about the, the book is available for pre-order it's pre-sale right now. So do you want to tell folks about that and how they can get it and what's going on with it? I would love for sure. folks to hear it. Uh, yeah. So it's available for pre-order and pre-orders are great. They help a lot with encouraging the book publishing industry to like pre-order the book and to, to sell the book. Um, it helps a lot in many ways, but um, then it goes on sale November 16th is the launch date and I'll have some event then. Um, probably by the time this is released, I'll have that on my website. Um, they can go to jivanaheyman.com and there's a whole page we're building around the book right now. And I'm also gonna be launching a little mini podcast about the book where I interview hopefully you and all the contributors. Cause like I said, there's a whole bunch of amazing people that have contributed to the book. So I'm gonna do an interview with each one and that'll be available. People can, uh, it's probably already available now at this point when we're sharing this podcast. So people can find that Yoga Revolution podcast. And I'll probably do a book club. That's what I'm planning right now. Some kind of free events that people can join once after the book is launched so that we can um, talk about it a little bit together. And then I'm finding other ways to share it. I don't know yet. Um, watching you do an amazing job sharing about your book and inspired by, by you and other people who are doing that. It's, um, it's a great process, I think, actually, of like writing a book and then sharing it. But it feels very different. You know, there's like, that's the one thing I'll mention. I don't know if you found that. Like, it's different to write it than to be going out and talking about it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Which part do you like? Both. There's, it's a birth process though. So that's like uh -huh. different to have something inside you and then it be in the world in form and you have to like, you yeah. know, <laughs> yeah, like work with <laughs> it or, or I mean with books, not, not children, yeah. like let it go, let it do its thing. That was the advice someone gave me about skill in action. She said, once it's out, let it be, let it do its thing. And it, I will yeah. never forget it. And so, um, but it is different to, to share about it because in some ways, in the, the writing process can be hard, in my experience, a challenge to articulate like what it was like, or it's just different. It takes shape. It's like my book is sitting on my desk now. It's like I can hold this thing that felt like a shamanic journey. That's bizarre. <laughs> you know? It's bizarre, isn't it? It's really bizarre. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's, um, yeah, to me, it's like uh, my background's in visual art, actually. So it's very much like drawing or painting where it's the process is so interesting, right? Where you're creating something, but then at the end you do have this actual thing. And it's like, what is the relationship between the painting itself and the process of doing it? I mean, that feels similar to me. It's like that book is one part of what people are saying, but then there was my experience of writing, which yeah, is just so different. It's like, I like the shamanic journey. It's like, mm -hmm. I love the creative process. I actually talk about it in the book a little bit around how to me, Creativity is spirituality. Yes. Really there. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, well, I'm, I'm grateful you've written this, this book, Yoga Revolution. I look forward to reading the entire book and you. having it manifest in the world in physical form mm -hmm. so that we can hold it and work with yeah. it and be inspired by it and by your work. And um, and I would love for you to share if there's anything 
you want folks to know this will come out in September. So that's coming up for you. I know you have a training in September. Yes, I have uh, accessible yoga training online, which I love doing, by the way. I love doing online. It's really amazing. And we get people from all over the world joining. That'll be September 13th as a start date. And it'll be on my website or accessibleyogatraining.com. And also um, through the nonprofit Accessible Yoga Association, we have our big, big annual conference, October 14th through 17th. That'll be online too. And you're also presenting there, actually. You're involved with the pre-conference intensive, which is free. You're having a free event where your group on um, yoga and race equity, is that what you're calling yourselves? You have a new name. We do, and I can't remember it, but it, that's, okay. the, that's the essence of what we will talk about and work yeah. with. And so it's a pre-conference intensive on October 14th that anyone can join and take part in for free. And then the weekend following that, 15th, 16th, 17th, is the whole weekend we have over 50 presenters in all aspects of accessible yoga. So I'm really excited about that. They're a really fun event, and I hope everyone will join us to hear from you and also from all these other amazing presenters. Mm-hmm. I'm excited about it. Yeah, I think that's all I have. I'll probably have more things, but, you know, thank you. I mostly just want to thank you for having me first, again, for what you do and for this platform, talking to me and, and asking me those questions. It was really fun. Thank you so much for, as I said, saying yes and spending time in this way and, and sharing from your heart. I appreciate who you are in the world. And I'm so glad we're in community and relationship. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed the episode. So, as you all may know, I have a new book out, Finding Refuge, Heart Work for Healing Collective Grief, published by Shambhala Publications. It was published on July 13th, 2021 and can be found anywhere where books are sold. Along with the book, you can join me for some offerings focused on finding refuge and focused on collective grief, ritual, and processing trauma, allowing it to move through so that we can get free. We'll explore the connection between grief and liberation. You can support the podcast Finding Refuge by telling your friends about it and rating it on iTunes. You can support my work in the world by becoming a patron on Patreon. You can find me there as Michelle C. Johnson, Skill in Action. I offer monthly Dharma talks, rituals, meditations, or movement practices. I hope you join me there. Take care. Be well, friends. Mm -hmm.